0: Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins Silently closing her bedroom door Leaving the note that she hoped would say more She goes down Stairs to the kitchen, clutching her handkerchief. Quietly turning the back door key. Stepping outside, she. We gave her money,
1: We're back now with part two in the telling of our story of Paul McCartney's song, She's Leaving Home, Origins of a Masterpiece. So let's pick up where we left off in part one of this story in our episode nine. You may recall my earlier assertion that in the crafting of the lyrics to this song, Paul McCartney's songwriting had been taken in a new direction through the uncommon lens of John Lennon.
2: Yeah, you kind of left us hanging on
0: that one. You just keep me hanging on.
1: Focus. Okay, well then, to investigate this second thread of our narrative, we need to meet the characters who were so deftly fleshed out by Paul McCartney and John, in this song of theirs, She's Leaving Home. And to do this, we enlist the services of our little time machine. We have landed in London. The date is February 27th, 1967. We find ourselves just a few blocks from the Abbey Road recording studio. We are in the kitchen at the home of Paul McCartney. Paul has just set a newspaper down on the table in front of him. We know the date is February 27, 1967, because we can see that this is the date that is printed in bold on the masthead of the newspaper. The paper is the Daily Mail, and Paul has set it down because he is deeply moved by an account he has just read in it. When we take a closer look at the newspaper, we can see that a picture of a teenage girl dominates the front page. The picture is two columns wide and spans the entire length above the fold of the paper. The newspaper account that so affected Paul this day was about a 17-year-old girl who had run away from home. The teenager's car had been found parked outside her home, unlocked. The newspaper article identified that she had been missing from home for over a week. Her name was Melanie Coe and the newspaper described that she had long blonde hair, though this description is unnecessary, as it is obvious from her picture. The newspaper reported a brief statement from her father, quote, I cannot imagine why she should run away. She has everything here. She is very keen on clothes, but she left them all, even her fur coat, End quote. So let's examine some of the evidence we can find in the written record. Thirty years later, Paul's biographer, Barry Miles, described how this newspaper story had provided the impetus for the lyrics Paul wrote for his new song, She's Leaving Home. For in this song, the lyrics tell the story of a teenager, of how she slipped out quietly to run away from home in the darkness of the early morning, and in Paul's telling of the story, how she had left a note for her parents. Then, the lyrics turn to the reaction of the parents as they awaken later that morning to find this note at the top of the staircase. It is these lyrics about the reaction of the parents that we turn to now. Paul's biographer, Barry Miles, also described how John Lennon had come over to Paul's house later that morning, shortly after Paul had read the newspaper article. And in this biography, Barry Miles related how Paul then shared the newspaper article with John. And this is where the uncommon lens of John Lennon comes into play. For after reading the lyrics Paul had already written, John Lennon picked up the newspaper article to read it for himself. In reading this account, John Lennon recalled instantly the memories of his childhood. With his childhood memories in mind, this is how John Lennon answered the lyric that Paul had devised. So this is where the uncommon lens of John Lennon came into play in devising the lyrics to this song. For upon reading the newspaper article and the comments made by the parents of this teenage girl who had left home, John Lennon experienced a flashback. He was brought back to memories of having lived with his aunt Mimi who had raised him when he was a child, after his parents had separated. And so, in a call-and-response pattern, the answering lyrics that John Lennon wrote, ostensibly about a teenage girl, weren't at all about this teenage girl who had run away from home. These answering lyrics reflected actual remembrances of things that John Lennon recalled that his Aunt Mimi had said to him when he was growing up, reflecting the complicated relationship between the two of them. Though we have just about completed this second thread in our narrative, we need to utilize our little time machine to provide just a little more detail on this song of Paul's, She's Leaving Home. For there's more evidence to examine, and we can find this evidence in Spain. We have landed in Tarifa, Tarifa, which is located in the most southerly point of Spain. As we look out in the sunlight, we can see all the way to the Moroccan coast, which is just across the Strait of Gibraltar. The year, by the way, is 1997, which marks the 50th anniversary of the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which Rolling Stone named as the best album of all time. But why have we landed in Spain, you might ask?
0: Yeah!
1: The answer to that question is that in this year, 1997, this is where we will locate the home of Melanie Coe, who was the teenager who had run away from home in North London in 1967 and who had served as the inspiration for the song, She's Leaving Home. And it is here in 1997 that Melanie Coe stated the following, quote, The amazing thing about the song was how much it got right about my life. The song quoted the parents as saying, We gave her everything money could buy, which was true in my case, end quote. <laughs> It is here in 1997 that Melanie Coe added the following detail. Quote, Then there was the line, After living alone for so many years. End quote. And it is here in 1997 that Melanie Coe commented about this lyric as follows. Quote, which really struck home to me because I was an only child and I always felt alone. I never communicated with either of my parents. It was a constant battle. I left because I couldn't face them any longer. End quote. And it is here in 1997 that Melanie Coe then added quote, When the song says something was denied, end quote. Well, Melanie Coe provides us with another bit of evidence, for it turns out that that specific lyric about something inside that was always denied always had special meaning for Melanie Coe, for it was here in Tarifa, Spain, Tarifa, in 1997, that she explained how accurate this lyric really was. Quote, that something was me, she said, and then she continued, I wasn't allowed to be me. I was looking for excitement and affection. My mother wasn't affectionate at all. She never kissed me. Now we've come full circle. We have met Melanie Coe, the teenaged runaway, who served as Paul's inspiration for this song, She's Leaving Home. And by reference, we've been introduced to her parents and a cold, unloving home. And by implication, we've been introduced to John Lennon's childhood existence and his complicated relationship with his Aunt Mimi. Now, musicologist Wilfred Millers, in his book, Twilight of the Gods, The Music of the Beatles, had this to say about this song, She's Leaving Home. He described how the lyrics to this song, Quote, Enact the story conveying not merely the fact of the girl's departure, but all the muddled hope, apprehension in the girl's heart, the fuddled incomprehension of the parents. There's failure all around in both generations. Unquote. Let's turn now to the third thread in our narrative, which again involves Brian Wilson. Of the Beach Boys. There is no doubt that the songs of the Beach Boys inspired the songwriting of the Beatles, and vice versa. A competition between them existed. But in retrospect, there's a third and somewhat sad aspect to the connection to Brian Wilson of these two songs that Paul had written. And here I am talking of Paul's songs here, there, and everywhere, and then Paul's composition of She's Leaving Home. As we have seen, Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney were inspired by each other's songwriting. Upon hearing each other's songs, these creative souls were moved to attempt to reach new songwriting plateaus. Until we get to the year 1967. Here is the backstory to this sad history. The year before, in 1966 brian wilson had embarked upon his most challenging album yet the album i am referring to would ultimately be titled smile now the truth of the matter is and this comes from brian wilson himself for this next album he had set about trying to beat the beatles brian wilson had fastened upon the notion that the first album that either group that is the beatles or the beach boys could bring to market in 1967, would settle things between them once and for all. In other words, and this comes to us from music historian Darren Reed, according to Brian Wilson's way of thinking about this competition with the Beatles, the first album to market in 1967 by either band would stand forever as, quote the standard against which all other albums released after that time would have to be judged. Unquote. Now that is a pretty lofty expectation set by Brian Wilson, and with this, he was setting an extremely high bar, any way you think about it. But Brian Wilson had thought about it a lot. In fact, he had thought about it maybe too much. In any event, as the year 1966 went by, Brian Wilson's formulation and development of the material for his new album was chaotic and scattershot. And, how should I say this, beset by the fragility of his state of mind. Now, during this time frame, Smile, the album that Brian Wilson was so feverishly working on, was one of the most discussed albums in the rock press. Derek Taylor served as the public relations face for Brian Wilson, and he eagerly announced that December 1966 was to be the projected release date for this upcoming Beach Boys album. But that date came and went.
0: That day is done. That day is done.
1: December 1966 rolled into 1967 amid increasing anticipation. For the postponed release of a new album from Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. You just keep me on. Hang on, We'll be back in a moment.
0: And, is in my ears. and
1: meanwhile bang. we're back. And in our narration, it is in the winter months of 1967, the public was eager to hear the much-ballyhooed new album yet to be released by Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. As the months of early 1967 ticked by, as the release date for the album continued to be delayed, Derek Taylor, in his public relations role, continued to write articles for the music press. Sometimes anonymously, the goal of which was to heighten further speculation about Brian Wilson's upcoming album. Let's focus for a moment on Derek Taylor, for he, of all people, played an important role in the sad aspect of the story we will relate here of this competition between Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney. Let's back up the tape a bit. For it is helpful here. To review the backstory, if you will. In early 1964, Brian Epstein hired Derek Taylor to serve as the press agent for the Beatles. In fact, in the summer of 1964, Derek Taylor accompanied the Beatles during the entirety of their first concert tour in the United States. After a falling out with Brian Epstein, Derek Taylor moved to Los Angeles and served as the public relations face for a number of L.A.-based pop groups, including the Birds, the Beach Boys, Paul Revere and the Raiders, and the Mamas and the Papas. Now turning back to our story, while in L.A., Derek Taylor became especially devoted to Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, touting him as a musical genius. To this end, and using his media connections in the UK, Derek Taylor was fabulously successful in promoting the Beach Boys' 1966 album, Pet Sounds. These efforts of Derek Taylor in the UK definitely helped propel this album, for the album Pet Sounds received an unprecedented level of acclaim from music critics there, including from peers like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Okay, so fast forward to late 1966 and early 1967. We know that Brian Wilson's efforts to complete the next album, Smile, were fraught with fits and starts, and were being delayed and then pushed into 1967. Now, we turn to Paul McCartney and the next turn of events in this fraught competition between Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney. In mid-1967, Paul had come to the United States to do some advanced promotion of the new album the Beatles were currently working on. What album was this? The title of the album would become what we now know as the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's album, the eighth studio album by the Beatles. And during his layover in Los Angeles, while on this pre-release trip to America, Paul stayed at the home of Derek Taylor. And this is where Derek Taylor becomes a pivotal point in our now darkening story. Recall that Brian Wilson tended to see the competition with the Beatles and the next album to be released by either band in apocalyptic terms. Though in retrospect, fateful might be a better word. In Brian's mind, Whoever released this next album would set the standard for pop music for all time. And to Brian's way of thinking, it was critical for him to be the first there. Whereas Paul, our Paul, ever the optimist, saw the successive release of new albums by the Beach Boys and by the Beatles as simply friendly, inspirational competition. And this is where Derek Taylor comes in once again in this unfolding heartbreak. For while Paul was staying at Derek Taylor's home in Los Angeles, Derek came up with the idea for Paul to have a visit with Brian Wilson at his new recording studio in Brian's new home in Bel Air. And the irrepressible Paul, while there, that evening, at Brian Wilson's home, brought out his advanced pressing of his new song, She's Leaving Home. And when Paul played it for Brian Wilson and Brian's wife, they both burst into tears upon hearing it for the first time. biography of Paul McCartney, published some 50 years after this event, this is how historian Philip Norman documented this encounter between these two songwriting masters, Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson, at Brian Wilson's home that evening in Los Angeles. Author Philip Norman wrote that upon hearing this song for the very first time and in his own home, Brian Wilson was simply devastated. Philip Norman put it this way quote, So dented was the fragile Beach Boy's self belief that he abandoned work on the Smile album soon afterwards. Unquote.
0: Father snores as his wife gets into her dressing gown, picks up the letter that's lying.
1: So here is the thing. Think of this competition of sorts that we have observed. These grand thunderbolts being tossed back and forth between these pop music giants, Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney. We have seen how Brian was inspired by the Beatles album Rubber Soul and wrote God Only Knows. Paul McCartney was inspired by Brian Wilson's God Only Knows to write his song, She's Leaving Home. And upon hearing Paul's song for the first time, Brian Wilson found himself breaking down in tears. And as one consequence of realizing the perfection of Paul's song, She's Leaving Home, Brian Wilson finds afterward that he is physically unable to continue working on his album, Smile. As a consequence of this, Brian Wilson's album will lay on a shelf for over 40 years. But the story is not complete yet. Hey, Joe, why do you use this word yet? Why is our story not complete yet? The answer to the question posed by my producer, Talk Back Mike, lies in the lives of Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney. For this process, this grand competition between these two pop music giants, transpires over a 40-year period of their lives. Okay, what does that mean? Well, as their lives continued in the 60s through the 70s and into the new century, this exchange between the two of them continues to manifest itself. Let me give you two examples. We need the services of our little time machine. We have landed in the year 1976. And in this year, Brian Wilson was struck dumb, which was the consequence of a writer recounting to him that Paul McCartney had stated that Brian's song, God Only Knows, was, quote, the greatest song ever written, end quote. Hearing this assertion of Paul's made Brian distinctly uncomfortable and provides us with an insight into the reflective processes in Brian's mind. For Paul's statement produced for Brian a disquieting thought, which was this. If Paul's statement were possibly true, then what could he, Brian, ever do after that? What could there possibly be left for him to do in his life? This was what was working upon Brian's brain but our story about the back and forth between Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney has not yet been completed. We need the services of our little time machine once again. We have landed in Los Angeles in the new millennium. The occasion is the second annual Adopt the Minefield Benefit Gala, featuring two performers, Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson, live at the Century Plaza Hotel in Los Angeles on September 18, 2002. We are here because Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson are appearing together this day in Los Angeles in 2002 to perform God Only Knows at the Adopt the Minefield Benefit Concert. This time, however, it would be Paul McCartney who would break down. For at the sound check, on this day, with Brian Wilson on stage with him, the self-realization that he, Paul McCartney, was standing there on stage with Brian to perform God Only Knows, the song that had most impacted Paul McCartney during his life, simply overwhelmed Paul and he broke down in tears completely on the rehearsal stage standing at the microphone. And with this, we as listeners have now relived and have experienced the great competition between Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney, the grand contest of songwriting wills, one outcome of which was this song, She's Leaving Home.
0: From the motor trade. <laughs>
1: And I hope you enjoyed this podcast of Stroll Down Penny Lane. Please join us again next time as we explore further the life and music of Paul McCartney. And come see us at one of our shows if you are in the neighborhood. You'll find us at strolldownpennylane.com slash podcast or with your favorite podcast app. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.